Welcome back to When You Think Taylor Swift. I'm Hannah. I'm Madeline. Today, we hope you think of vehicular manslaughter. Bet you didn't see that one coming. If you're <laughs> a real one, you title. did. <laughs> True. Yeah. If you've been on Tumblr since any time between 2014 and now, you, you probably saw did. It coming. So today we're going to dive back into the Evelyn Hugo universe, and we're going to talk about a large figure of the story who is not Celia St. James, but is rather Harry Cameron, who is um, was Evelyn's manager, a, a gay man who she married and formed the four-beard foursome with Evelyn and John Braverman, who was his lover at the time. Yes, her longest marriage, the father of her child... Um, her like lifelong best friend. Um, yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about bearding. We're going to talk a little bit about car crashes, Harry Styles, Harry Styles. Yeah. So where do we want to, where do we want to kick it off? Let's talk a little bit about the decision that Harry and Evelyn make to get married. So we kind of, we, we mentioned that in the last episode, but let's get into it. Yeah. So basically, like, again, this the lead up to this is that um, Evelyn's husband at the time, Rex, is um, like he has her her like marriage of convenience. Um, He has been like, look, I fell in love with somebody else and we're going to have a baby and I want to get divorced. They decide to kind of set up this whole affair um, for publicity. And so she proposes to Harry, like, what if we are in a relationship? And he's like, nobody's going to buy it. Everybody knows that I'm gay. And she was like, only people in Hollywood know you're gay. Everybody else just knows that, like, you're a producer. So they they get married and they, well, they don't get married at first. They, they do some build up. Um, they actually <laughs> drive out to, like, some, I don't know, they drive out to some mm. place in L.A. And Evelyn beforehand calls Ruby Riley um, for those uh, careful listeners. Um, and she's like, hey, I need you to send a paparazzi out here at this time. Um, and so she and Harry drive out there and they make out in a car and it gets photographed and they kind of like blow up as a couple and everybody's obsessed with them. Definitely. So, of course, like she he had mentioned to Evelyn before that, you know, I'm in love with this dude, John Braverman. He's a football player. Um and Evelyn's like, wait, 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 the same John Braverman that's married to Celia. So Celia has been married to this quarterback who's also gay, John Braverman, for three years. And they see the potential there to form a foursome after Evelyn and Celia make up. Um, as we talked about last episode, they hook up at the Oscars. <laughs> Everyone thinks that they know us, but they know nothing about what we do in the bathroom at the Oscars. So yeah. they get back together. Then it's like this kind of happy family montage couple of years. So the four of them are living in New York on the same block. It appears as if Celia and John, her husband, are living together and Evelyn and Harry are. But in reality, the two women and the two men are living together as the couples that they secretly and truly are. Um, and the press like loves it. They're like double daters, so cute. They do everything They're, like, together. Are they swinging? Yeah, <laughs> but no one, no one really bats an eye other than the swinging comments, which by this point is fashionable because it's like mm-hmm. what the seventies or eighties, late late seventies, late late sixties. I mean, yeah. So, so it's like 
Ooh. But nobody cares because, like, they are, you know, like, two heterosexual couples, unbeknownst to everyone, that they're all just gays abound. Okay, so basically they are living as this, like, foursome um, of beards during the, like, New York years of this book. And actually, I want to hop to a different, um, to, like, some context here, because in thinking about this, I was researching today, um, like, bearding and the history of bearding. I was just saying to Madeline that when I was Googling history of bearding, um, I was getting articles about the trends of facial hair at various points um, in history. So I just thought a lot of this was really interesting, um, the kind of overall history of bearding. So the first like version of this was lavender marriages in the 1890s, which is mostly gay men marrying gay women, um, which had more to do with social class than anything else. And then bearding as a term started in the 1920s. Um, in the twenties, Universal Studios was like the biggest, uh, like Hollywood studio. Um, and they were the first studio to have a morality clause, which then every other studio went on to have. It's really wild. It's like the actor actress agrees to conduct himself herself with due regard to public conventions and morals and agrees that he, she will not do anything will not do or commit anything tending to degrade him, her in society and bring him, her into public hatred, contempt, scorn, or ridicule. Um, or anything that will like shock people or insult <laughs> people or offend people. Um, How can you do anything? You can't have a you can't have a life, an authentic I know. life. So then like so there's this morality clause thing happening, and then obviously like the combination of Hollywood growing and accessible journalism is like celebrity gossip explosion. And then in 1930, um, the Hayes Code, the Hayes Code was introduced, and this was basically like what could or couldn't be seen in movies. It was written by William Harrison Hayes Sr. and I didn't know this. He was the first chairman of the Motion Pictures Producers and Distributors. But he was also the chairman of the Republican National Committee. Oh, um, yes, I have heard this before. Yes. And it was in effect until the 70s. And basically it said, you know, no nudity, no crime, no swearing, no adultery, no interracial relationships, no white slavery was on the list, uh, no child <laughs> oh pornography, no, quote, ridicule of the clergy, no drugs, and no inference of sexual perversion. Um <laughs> And they had this, like, the MPPDA had what they called a doom book, which was um, a list, basically, of, like, around 120 actors and actresses whose lifestyles were, like, unacceptable. Um, some of them were on there for, like, drugs or partying, but most of them were on there for being gay or for, like, being assumed to have been gay. Um, so, as a result, like, bearding really started at the time. Um, so is it, it was, primarily like a Hollywood thing? Like the term bearding yeah. as opposed to like maybe a lavender marriage or something like that is more known through its associations to Hollywood. Exactly. Yeah. And it started That's out kind of being called like lavender dating or lavender marriage. And then it turned into bearding. I would love to know more about the like etymology of, of bearding um, as a term. So yeah, I would anyone? Like to know that too. Um, I think in the reverse, it should be called murking, like a murk. Yes. Believe <laughs> um, that, but uh, but so didn't Elizabeth Taylor definitely have a few bearded relationships, yes. right? Yeah. So like, and many um, celebrities, but her specifically, right. right? She did. Yes. Like Laurence Olivier had um, a like beard while he was in a lifelong partnership with a man, Cary Grant had three marriages. All of that were fake. Rock oh, Hudson was like, right. who actually gets name dropped in the book was like the most famous kind of. And, and I think if, if you would ask people generally like thinking about bearding, like that's like 
kind of the cultural touchstone example, um, he was like the biggest star in like the 30s and 40s and was in a, a beard marriage. And then they got divorced. There's like rumors about whether or not his wife was also right. gay. That's what I like. Unclear. Up. But he's in the closet until he, after his death, when he died of AIDS in 1984. Um, I thought he came out at the AIDS, like the AIDS, some kind of AIDS gala in a speech or something like that. But anyways, it's very similar to Evelyn that it's like at the end of his life and it's only because he has AIDS. But super interesting. he's literally dying. Because at this point in the book... Then they're in their apartment and they're watching the coverage of Stonewall and like listening to the coverage of Stonewall. Yeah. Which is wild, right? So it it places us right in here. Um, And they're all, like, obviously really, you know, freaked out. Um, And they're kind of, like, they're having these conversations about, like, we really want to be involved. Especially, like, Celia's, like, let's go march down there right now. Like, I want to be part of it. They're fighting for our rights. Like, we have so much power. We should be there with them. And then they're talking about, like, Rock Hudson. And did that help the cause or hurt the cause? Mm -hmm. And what's their role in all of this? And we have a quote Um, so Harry shook his head. We go down there. All we do is attract attention away from the cause and towards us. The story becomes about whether we're homosexuals and not about the rights of homosexuals. So it becomes this tricky thing because the, the counter view, the counterpoint, I think, yeah, this is Evelyn who says this and she's like, what do we do? Yeah. Mm hmm. She says, this was our people, and here they were, revolting against the police in the name of their right to be themselves, while I was sitting in a golden prison of my own making. Right. And so they have this conversation, and essentially what they end up deciding is, like, right, okay, fine, we're going to detract from the crowd. Like, let's funnel money secretly to the protesters. Like, they all know enough people. They are, like, out to enough people in their personal lives that they can like, they have connections, they can send money to people. And so Evelyn then says, um, because of who I was, because of the sacrifices I made to hide parts of myself, I was able to give more money than most people ever see in their entire lifetime. I'm proud of that, but it doesn't mean I wasn't conflicted. And of course, a lot of the time that ambivalence was even more personal than it was political. I knew it was imperative that I hide and yet I did not believe I should have to, but accepting that something is true. Isn't the same thing as thinking that it is just, um, and this so, is so yeah. related to our conversations about the you need to calm down music video mm-hmm. and how Taylor's like part of the queer community, but also so at a distance from the community. Mm-hmm. And it's super interested, interesting if we think about it through this lens and like Evelyn saying that she's in a gold cage, a gold prison of her own making. Mm-hmm. Like we can think about literally the gold cage visual in the look what you made me do video when Taylor says she's in a gold cage hostage to my feelings. Yeah. Taylor's used this exact same imagery to describe herself. And just when we think about it. Remember she used to have that giant cage in her house? Yes, a bird cage in her Nashville apartment. Crazy. Also, like, the original lyrics to Cardigan are, um, I knew you living in a gold age, sneaking in my bird cage. They told me all of my cages were mental, so I got wasted by all my potential. All this cage stuff happening. And if you think about the Willow music video, too. Yes, yes. Where she's trapped in that. But we can think, yeah, we can think about what is the utility of celebrities aligning with a cause? When does it help? When does it hurt? Especially in in this time period that we're thinking of, right, how much does Taylor Swift actively participating in gay rights as, like, naming herself as a queer person totally diverts the message mm-hmm. from maybe glad that she's trying to support. Whereas I think 
in more modern understandings and conceptions, we can see how well it would be really valuable and really useful for Taylor to have a personal and political identity stance. Mm-hmm. But it's so much more complicated as this book shows us than we give it credit for. Yeah. It's because, right, like what Evelyn is saying and what I think Taylor like probably believes is that by not coming out, she is making like she says, because I was, you know, because I was hiding, I got more money than people see in their Mm -hmm. entire lives times. And I donated all, you know, like I gave it away. I would not have had that money if I had come out. And I think Taylor like probably, you know, like we're in full clown paint makeup here. But I, I don't think that this is untrue, honestly, like. We, I mean, think about Miss Americana, where she's like, she has to sit down with like this whole exactly. team to argue for posting like a pretty like <laughs> tepid. I mean, like really huge for her, but in the grand scheme of things, like a kind of tepid Instagram about like right. Marsha Blackburn. If that's how much work she has to do, and how how afraid she is, and how much she's risking by doing that, then like the thought of coming out is like putting all of it at risk. And we've talked about this before. And I think, right, like it's, it does get really complicated because to what end is identity politics useful, you mm-hmm. know? And like, exactly. to what point does representation matter versus like her massive amounts of money matter? And I also think like, it's kind of a weak argument, but we know that because it's something Taylor has consistently said in the past, like you're talking about the situation with Marsha Blackburn, but when, before when she, people were like, save your Democrat or Republican, just say anything about your political mm-hmm. things. And then of course that intensified to an apex when she literally had to speak in the Trump era where it became like, you must speak. But even going back to before that kind of her line was like, it's not important I'm not Mm -hmm. a politician. I'm a celebrity. And when she talks in that Miss Americana and her dad's Mm -hmm. listing, like, all the old-fashioned celebrities who never named or talked about their politics. And I I do think she has this fundamental perception of celebrity and star, at least in in the way she was inculcated into this whole business, Mm -hmm. as, like, her job is to entertain, is to make art, and bring as much joy to as many people as possible. And that's always been her goal, right? And she doesn't want to do anything polarizing aside from the art Mm -hmm. that could turn people away from what she has to give them or what can make their world better. Like, right. When we did, when we were talking about Evelyn's speech at the human rights gala at the end of last Mm -hmm. episode and how she tried to make things as good for as many people as she could during her lifetime, I do kind of think there's a sense of Taylor of like, right. She always talked about like coming out about her politics with being like, well, then 50% of my audience is gone. And I do think of course that comes from her, like climbing the charts, wanting to win all the awards side of her brain. But I do think there's a genuine, more pure impulse of like, I just want to touch as many people as possible in like a lovely caring way and I could see how she thinks about that with this too similarly to Evelyn Mm -hmm. of like well if I come out then I lose half my audience which would not be true but let's just say she thinks like that and when we talk about her as an Enneagram one and all this stuff like then the work is what suffers and Mm -hmm. I'm here on this earth Mm -hmm. for the work yeah and I think like those that's in conversation too with and this is a total like chicken or egg but her 
I, I agree. I think she does have a really wholehearted belief that what is more important than anything than her politics and her identity than what she thinks is her art and like what it can do for people and its reach. And at the same time, I, it's hard to imagine that like the way her management was and like the first, mm-hmm. you know, 10 years of her career and like this total, like know your place and be in your place and do not move outside of your place. Like those two have to be talking to each other all the time, like subconsciously or not. Like, the art is what I do. And like, I am not allowed to do anything besides the art for mm-hmm. like the risk of jeopardizing myself or jeopardizing my career or like, you know, putting all of this down the drain. So I think it's like a simultaneous, really pure instinct and like total fear-based instinct. Absolutely. Um, right. Yeah. And it is true of like, we've talked about this before, but like, I almost think that Taylor needed to reach this giant apex of fame. Mm-hmm. Like, of do you think she gets higher than this? Like, how does she get higher than the heights that she's climbed already? Like, maybe winning one more album of the year? Like, yeah, what would, like, what would make into her winning sleep a at night? Oscar? I don't know. Yeah. Right. Right. But, like, in pop star dumb. Mm-hmm. I don't really know how much higher you get. And that's what's really interesting to me of like when you reach the mountaintop, which you had to be so careful, so calculated. People like to use that word in reference to mm-hmm. Taylor Swift. But to get there, just like Evelyn, what do you do when you reach the, the mountaintop and you get to start walking back down? Mm-hmm. Like on the way home. What do you do on the way home? Peace. You know, and I think that's really interesting in the back half of this book to see what Evelyn does. And I don't mean on the way home and that, like, her star is going to be diminishing. No. But it's just, like, there is no one left for you to prove anything to. There is no accolade left that you haven't gotten. Like, there is probably some corner of the universe that doesn't like you, but, like, you're 30 years old. Like, you have to be aware of the fact that, like, you're not going to get everyone to like you in your life and, like, be able to stick with that. So, like what is left. And even I think if we think about, you know, that saying that people say of growing up is really getting closer and closer to who you were Mm -hmm, as mm -hmm. a child or whatever. And I think we can think about that, like with on the way home, like maybe she's coming on the way home to herself now in this post 30 Taylor, which of course, right. She's probably going to go for an Oscar. She's going to go for big things, but I can already think we, we can see so many shades of that in Evermore and Folklore. Like, I think about the yeah, song seven. seven, right? Like, when she was feral and she's, like, looking to this time and this yes. version of herself. <laughs> and, like, I am so excited to see the unlearning and, like, mm-hmm. becoming of Taylor Swift, not as the bad blood automatron supermodel. We've done that. We've been there. I want to see the raw, messy, feral version of herself. Yeah. Jumping back to Harry Cameron and Evelyn. Um, so they're in this like foursome marriage. They are living in New York and Harry and Evelyn, like it's Evelyn's birthday. I remember this part actually. It's Evelyn's birthday and they're out to dinner and Harry's like, you realize I'm the longest husband you've ever had. And she was like, yeah, I'm the best one. And he's like, we'd make a pretty cute kid. And she's like, I'm 36. If I'm going to, you know, if I've waited, I've, I've, I've used up my time to wait. If we're going to do it, we're going to do it. And so um, they talk to John and they talk to Celia and um, Celia's like, I feel bad. I can't give this to you. And she's like, you know, you're still going to be 
a parent to this child too. And so Harry and Evelyn decide to have a baby and Evelyn gives birth to a baby girl named Connor, which is a really cute name. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, the four of them like build this family together with John and Harry and Celia and Evelyn. And they all like go to the park together in literal beards um, as disguises. Connor, and it's so sweet. That's like one of the sweetest parts of the book. Mm-hmm. And Taylor Jenkins Reid has spoken about having a motivating, like a sentiment that she wants to get to as like a propulsive force with each book that she writes. And she has said that the propulsive force that made her write Evelyn Hugo was to tell a story about chosen families. And I think, like, the scene with the the five of them in the park is, like, the clearest, the clearest, like, zenith of this chosen family's um, goal that, that Taylor mm-hmm. Jenkins Reid had in writing this book. And I think it's just super beautiful. And who do we know who talks about chosen families a lot? They, are, uh, they have a rosé flowing with their chosen family in Central Park. Um, <laughs> it would have been sweet if it could have been me. Yeah, which is kind of like kind of leads into our next part of the plot, because very similar to the song, The One, it's like Celia was the one at this point. And we know that she ends up to be the one. She's always been the one. But they have another cataclysmic shift. They break up again, as we talked about in the last episode. And there's a really sad part of the book. People start dying. I think Connor's like, she's a little kid, like. Yeah, she's she's really young, and John dies. And John Braverman dies. Um, And they are at John Braverman's funeral, and they see Celia crying into the casket, and Connor says to her mom, Evelyn, I think I recognize that woman, referring to Celia. And Evelyn's thinking, like, oh, of course you do. She was, like, your mom for a while. And Connor says, she was in that movie with you. And Evelyn realizes that Connor only recognizes Celia from Little Women, that she's watched, like, a million times with her mom and not as her, like, mother figure that she was in her infancy. Super fucking sad. Really, really sad. sad. And so, yeah, then we're kind of in the dark days of the book. John dies, Evelyn and Celia are broken up, and... Um, Evelyn is still living in New York with, um, Harry. This is when she marries. She and Harry end up getting divorced because it's just like, it's a disaster. Harry's like super depressed, drinking a ton, like not working. And Evelyn gets married to, to Max, the director that we talked about last episode. Um, and at this point, like Harry is kind of coming back to himself. Like he's working through his grief. He's like drinking a little bit less. He's working more, um, and he starts dating somebody. Evelyn's really happy for him and um, is, like, glad that, you know, he is falling in love again after having lost John. Um, and, you know, they're kind of trying to figure out how to... Yeah, so how to build their life together with their with their daughter, with their careers, with their, like, respective partners. And Celia and Evelyn get back together. Harry is dating this guy. Evelyn's, like... Celia... Or no, who... I think Harry suggests Harry suggests that they have another foursome that he he's like the guy I've been seeing, you know, is married, but he's going to leave his wife to be with me. I think that, you know, he can marry Celia. You and I can get remarried. People will be really happy and move to L.A. They have this like plan that's hatched. 
great. They're going to meet each other for some awards show or something or dinner. Yeah. I don't know. Dinner maybe. I don't know. Evelyn's going to meet Harry. And so she gets picked up by a driver. She's riding in this like limo town car situation. Whatever. Talking to the driver says he wants to be famous. Like the vine, I want to be famous, <laughs> the driver says to her, and she's like, yeah, hey. yeah okay. <laughs> um, But anyways, very, very tragically, they arrive at Harry's house only to find Harry and his lover's car wrapped around a tree, the two of them in, like, dire condition. Um, I'm pretty sure that the lover... Was I think he's dead all, on impact. Yeah, or like very close to dying. Um, and Harry had been driving. Mm-hmm. So it was implied that he was probably drunk driving mm-hmm. and hit a tree. Evelyn snaps into action. She's like, we got to do something freaking sad about this. And she's really... War- I mean, obviously she's like gutted. This is the love of her life in a platonic way. But who's in fatal condition. And she's like, I need to do whatever I can to save, um, to save this situation. So I'm going to read an excerpt from the book. Nick is the driver, Evelyn's driver. So Evelyn says, here's what I remember. I remember Nick breaking open Harry's car door. I remember helping to pull Harry out. I remember thinking we shouldn't move Harry because we could paralyze him. I also remember thinking that I couldn't possibly stand to allow Harry to stay there slumped on the wheel like that. I remember holding Harry in my arms as he bled. I remember the deep gash in his eyebrow, the way the blood coated half his face in thick rust red. I remember seeing the cut from where the seatbelt had sliced the lower side of his neck. Just like awful things. She says, I remember saying, stay with me, Harry, stay with me, true blue. I remember... Nick telling her that the other man, Harry's lover, was dead. I remember thinking that no one who looked like that could be alive. And then she says, I remember Harry's right eye opening. I remember the way it inflated me with hope, the way the white of his eye looked so bright against the deep red of the blood. I remembered how his breath and even his skin smelled like bourbon. So we have an out-of-the-woods vehicular manslaughter situation. We have her saying, I remember. I remember. Mm-hmm. I remember. I remember. I remember. <laughs> You were looking at me. He flashes his eyes at her. Mm -hmm. He's looking at her. Back to the plot. What happens is that Evelyn makes a split-second decision. She says, I remember how startling the realization was. Once I knew Harry might live, I knew what had to be done. I had to get him to the hospital, and I had to make sure no one found out he'd been driving. What if they tried him for vehicular manslaughter? Someone many people have accused... One Harry Styles and one Mm. Taylor Swift of doing. So for context on this, in the song Out of the Woods, we know is about a snowmobile accident that Taylor and Harry Styles got into. Harry Styles and Harry Cameron from this book have many parallels, not only insofar as they're queer, but what what does she call him? Brilliant, kind, Brilliant, kind-hearted, tortured Harry Harry Cameron. Cameron. Just sub in Harry Styles for that. It works. But anyway, so the real story behind Taylor and and Harry's snowmobile crash, we may never know. But we know that they got into an accident while on vacation together. Harry split his 
eyebrow open, mm-hmm. right? Which is exactly what they talk about in this. I'm pretty sure it's his eyebrow that he split yeah. open or something. He gets pretty badly injured. It's a bad crash insofar as the official narrative that has been told to us. So again, mm-hmm. like what maybe it wasn't even a snowmobile accident. I don't know. If, we don't know that for sure. It could have been a car crash very well. Vehicular perhaps? Vehicular. So there's many people on the internet. If you're on TikTok, you know that people think that Harry Styles and Taylor Swift committed vehicular manslaughter <laughs> in this in this quote unquote snowmobile <laughs> accident, and that Taylor hid the body. She covered it all up. She took Harry to the um, emergency room, and they've been like living with the demons of that ever since. And you can track in both of their lyrics where they're like talking about being haunted by the ghost. Now this is kind <laughs> of a joke theory. Um, but it's I think not, people fully believe it, though. People fully believe it. It's not like a complete joke, but it's also like, I don't think that they actually committed vehicular manslaughter, no. but I do think shady shit da- went down with this crash. And something that's really notable is that, like, we've never heard any accounts from anyone else about this incident. Like, there are so many paramedics, hospital people, emergency room techs, nurses, doctors, what have you, just people who saw Harry Styles and Taylor Swift bleeding going into an emergency room. Not a peep from any of them. We've never heard this And you can't get every single one of those people to sign an NDA. Like, no. if it's one doctor, sure. But, like... But some sneaky, sneaky shit went down because, like, it was an emergency situation and they needed emergency medical help in a way that they couldn't And they were in, like, rural Canada? Yeah, like, Canada or, or like, Maine or, like, Vermont or something. They were somewhere in the eastern part. Yeah, Vancouver. (laughs) I don't know where Vancouver is, Someplace like that. They were were someplace uh, They were in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, and they needed help, which just absolutely eerily parallels this so what happens is that (sighs) evelyn pulls harry out of the car they leave his lover for dead and they move it so it looks like he's the one driving the car that Um, he just crashed the car because they don't want evelyn's like we can't have anybody know that harry was even involved in this if he lives they're going to try him for vehicular manslaughter because this guy's already dead like so she pays off the driver, essentially. I want to be famous, Nick. She says, um, I'm going to make you famous if you don't talk about this. And he goes yeah. on to, like, actually become famous. And she says that that was, like, the final crux, the final nail in the coffin for her on Stardom. Because it, it's kind of a point in the story where it eerily mirrors something that young Evelyn would have done. Like, I don't know if she would have gone to those lengths to, like, hide a murder, but I kind of think she would have to become famous. Mm -hmm. Like, she was willing to do exactly that, to become famous. And when she is confronted by someone with the same cunning ambition, the same Slytherin energy... Total ruthlessness, yeah. It it reviles her, and I think it makes her see some of her decisions in the light of day and just... But, I mean, she makes a pretty intense, pretty bad call to stage this crash, make it look like the lover, it was the lover's fault, rush Harry to the hospital. She says, when a man from the hospital staff asked me for a statement about what happened to Harry, I said, how much will you take for me to, how much will it take for you to leave me alone? I was relieved when the dollar figure he came up with was less than what I had in my purse. So that's pretty similar to the narrative that we know of. We don't know what kind of deal Taylor brokered with the people at the hospital for no one to have come forward with any details about this situation. 
But it's the same thing. It is mm-hmm. the same thing with a man named Harry, 20 stitches in a hospital room. When I started crying, also the year when you that started crying, baby, I did too. But when the sun came up, I was looking at you. It happens yes. in 1989. So let's just put a huge underscore under that, that Harry Cameron dies after committing vehicular manslaughter in 1989. Just let that sit with you, listeners. Like, this part of the book just sends me on a tailspin. It's crazy. All the Harry stuff is in here. So, I don't know. What do you think? I don't really feel like... Harry Styles and Taylor Swift are best friends in the way that Harry Cameron and and Evelyn were. But what do you think their relationship is like now? I don't know. I agree. I mean, I think I ha- I mean, we saw them talk at the Grammys, right? And they like looked pretty like if not like super familiar, certainly like comfortable with each other and like cordial and polite. Um I think that they probably when they had, when they dated, like had, I mean, we talked about this in the boys and boys and girls and girls episode. Like, I think they, that, that they had some kind of connection. I don't really think that it was romantic. That's very hard for me to imagine, especially given the footage of them kissing where they both just look like so deeply uncomfortable. Um, did you see the candids from this last week of, um, Olivia and Harry slow dancing and kissing on the boat? Like that looks real. That looks, yeah. Yeah. That looks freaking real. Um, and yeah, I mean, and I also don't think that like in, in doing all this research about like bearding and stuff also, like, I don't think that this was, I don't think that the point of this relationship was bearding. I think that the point of this relationship was like PR. Um, I think that maybe they were both, I mean, I, I, okay. To be clear, I don't think that the, the point of this relationship was solely, make people believe both of these people are straight. I think it was like a combination of Taylor needing to cover up Diana and like Harry getting hit with all of these rumors about him. And I always called him Larry, (laughs) which one was he supposed to be dating? Louie. Um, Louie. Um, but that, I mean, bearding can be mutually beneficial in other areas. Like it can be PR and bearding. I mean, that was so many Evelyn's. Yeah. But I guess I'm thinking about it in comparison to a relationship like, um, like, uh, what's her name? Shelly Wright, that country singer who is a lesbian. And she was for years, like, I think for like th- I two or know three years, I, uh, you should watch her uh, documentary. Um, she was like the, it was in like the late nineties. She was really popular. She was in a relationship publicly with Bra- Brad Paisley for like multiple years. And then, um, she ended up oh coming God. out as gay and it was like, came to light that that relationship was like a full beard. Like oh my gosh, everybody that's there knew. Fascinating. Yeah. Country she's music. so interesting. And she got like fully blackballed by country music. She like made kind of a comeback post Dixie chicks being blackballed from country music. Um, but, and her, so her is biography is super interesting. Gay, queer. No, no, but he like, in the, so that was like a, a combo. Like she was more popular than him at that time. And so it was like beneficial to his, his career, but mostly yeah mostly it was that like if she had come out it would have put her in danger and like would have totally lost her career and so like they set it up he knew she obviously knew she was like in a long-term relationship with a woman the entire time um 
Yeah, really crazy. And this was, again, in, like, the early 2000s. Like, this is not, like, like the Hays Code doesn't exist anymore, but, like, you know, this is still happening. Um, So, yeah, I mean, all of that is to say, like, I do think that there was an element of their relationship that was wrapped up in their respective, like, sexual orientation and people speculating about it. And also, I think that it was, like, totally PR beneficial, and they knew that from the get-go. And I don't think either of those cancels out the other. Um, right. And I think the thing that we've talked about before, which I really feel to be true, is like, even if Taylor Swift and Harry Styles weren't romantically involved, there is a depth of a lot of shit went down in that relationship, mm-hmm. like 20 stitches in a hospital room. And I think so. We talked about this a little bit on the Taylor's Gayest Hits episode that we did, but let's talk about Out of the Woods. Let's talk mm-hmm. about the actual lyrics of Out of the Woods, because I want to have this discussion. Yeah. I posted a TikTok on, about this. And what Taylor has gone on the record to say is that Out of the Woods is about never knowing where you stand in a relationship and wondering, when will we be out of the woods? When will we be in the, in the clear yet? When will things be okay? But I want to talk about how when you literally read the song and talk about it, nothing in that song maintains that the relationship she is speaking about is a romantic one. And she's never said that it was a romantic one either. She just said in a relationship, you never know if you're in the clear yet or Mm -hmm. if things are going to be okay. And I I also, it's not romantic. The hidden message of the song is they loved each other recklessly, which just feels like that really, like, I, I don't think that this song is about a romantic relationship. I think it's about like what you do in order to have like, and in response to having loved somebody, <laughs> Diana Agron, recklessly. But yeah, let's talk about the lyrics. Okay. All right. So I'm going to start reading Out of the Woods. So let's just talk about some pieces that we have going on here. So mm-hmm. looking at it now, it all seems so simple. We were lying on your couch. I remember. You took a Polaroid of us, then discovered, then discovered, the rest of the world was black and white, but we were in screaming color. Gay. <laughs> Gay. Like, doesn't that also you can totally interpret it as that as like the rest of the world was black and white they were all doing our things but we were in screaming color we were loving recklessly we were part of the lgbtq community um so and i remember thinking she says are we out of the woods yet are we out of the woods yet are we in the clear yet in the clear yet in the clear yet good we repeat that a few more times she says, looking at it now, last December, last December, we were built to fall apart, then fall back together. Does that not sound like Evelyn's we were built. relationships? Like, we were yeah, built. Like we, we were not like uh, we're fated for each other, but like our relationship was literally orchestrated. It, it, we yeah. were constructed and we had like a timeline. We were built to like break get up, together, get break back up. together. And like we had a whole plan here. But you screwed the plot. (laughs) Your necklace hanging from my neck the night we couldn't quite forget when we decided to move the furniture so we could dance. Maybe like we stood a chance, like we weren't going to get found out. And also like that just speaks directly to two of the very few like paparazzi photos we have of them where they're doing the fucking karaoke and they do the dirty dancing. Like you're not going to cite your paparazzi photos in your song about your And wearing matching neck like, yeah. Mm -hmm. So two paper airplanes flying. I also think that just speaks to, like, the fragility and mm-hmm. chaos, with it, which is this, like, sneaking and 
hiding who they are, hiding who they love to maintain this image. It's like a, a house of cards. Yeah. And then we have <laughs> the verse that is the most relevant to this situation. Remember when you hit the breaks too soon, 20 stitches in a hospital room. When you started crying, baby, I did too. But when the sun came up, I was looking at you. Exactly, basically exactly what Taylor Jenkins Reid has written in this book about the crash with Harry. When the sun came up, you were looking at me. You were looking at me. Ow. Ow. Are we out of the woods? But that's the whole song. Then they also, just say, are we out of the I woods think, a bunch more? Yeah, like, remember when we couldn't take the heat? I walked out and said, it, I'm, I said, I'm setting you free. Like, something about that is also just, like, really bearding to me. Like, we couldn't take the heat of people, like, one, not fully believing we were together. And uh-huh. the heat of, like, trying to build up this fake thing. So I walked out. I said, I'm setting you free. Not from our relationship. Not from, like, our deep, passionate love affair. From, but, like, from the roots. From the pressure of, like, all of this shit. And, like... But don't you think, I think exactly what this is saying is, like, Taylor was like, I have this on lock, much like Evelyn. She was like, here's this relationship. It has a timeline. Here are the goals that we are going to mm-hmm. meet for our business people at our business conference. We are going to hit these goals. We're going to get pictures here. I'm going to wear the necklace. We're going to plan it. Got it. On lock. Harry is more of a wild child. He's mm-hmm. more of, like, a chaotic variable in this situation. He messes it up. And then... She's, like, eventually, like, fine, I'm going to stop making you try to conform to this thing that you can't do. Mm -hmm. I walked out. I said, I'm setting you free. You don't have to do this for me anymore. We're done. I mean, that sounds exactly like Evelyn. Yeah. And, like... She set Rex North free. Right. There's also, like, something happening here with, like, the kind of recognition of, like, how shitty and painful it is to, like, be in this fake relationship Especially if, like, we're going to buy into the narrative that, like, at the same time Taylor was with Diana and Harry was with, again, not Larry, he was with Louis, um, then, like, you know, he's, like, if we're going with this narrative, like, he's acting out. She's, like, you had one fucking job, but also, Mm -hmm. like, I understand that this is, like, really awful and, like, I'm really putting you through a terrible thing and I can do it. I don't mind. Exactly. Like, I am capable exactly. of doing this shitty thing because I can see the forest for the trees and all you can see is the fucking trees. The monsters turned out to be just trees. And like, you can't handle the heat. I think so the I'm monsters turned out to be just trees is such a tragic line of this. Mm-hmm. Of, like they were so paranoid. Yes. Again, like I just think paranoia is something that doesn't really speak so much to romantic relationships to me. Like, paranoia mm-hmm. maybe in the sense of, like, you're really scared of this person cheating on you, which I think is kind of the interpretation of this song that sometimes gets made. Mm-hmm. But I just think, like, sheer paranoia, which is, like, this frenetic, like, are we out of the woods yet? Are we out of the woods yet? Are we in the clear yet? And, like, the arrangement that Jack made with Taylor for this song. It's, like, this is a song about paranoia in the same ways that, like, we've talked about a million times. Like, I Know Places is about and all of these things that I just... And I Know Places isn't about paranoia about the person cheating on you. It's about paranoia of being found out. Yeah. And... I think that that is similar to what Taylor's getting at here, if not exactly the same. And it's worth noting that noted, um, I love to work with women, especially gay women, Jack and Nah. <laughs> like, this was one of his first collaborations with Taylor. Um, mm-hmm. 
it on was this the album, first, like right? the songs. Yeah. Or what, did he do that um, Sweeter Than Fiction with her? Maybe. Oh, I don't know. But regardless. Um, so we've got two ghosts now, which we're going to talk about, about Harry Styles, which people attribute to very clearly being about Taylor. I think maybe he, he he's even said that it's about Taylor, but that it's about the same situation mm-hmm. and bearding scenario and the vehicular manslaughter of it all. So he says, same lips red, same eyes blue, Taylor. Same white shirt, couple more tattoos himself. It's not you and it's not me. Tastes so sweet. Looks so real. Sounds like Sounds something, like something that, that I used to feel, to feel. with like, Louie. But yeah. I can't touch what I see. I mean, that's talking about a fake relationship. There is, like, nothing else that that is about. I don't know, like, what... I mean, like, sure, if you want to listen to this and be like, oh, it's, like, about, like... Memories. When you're in a relationship and you fall out of love and, like, you... Or, right, like, you break up and, like, you're thinking back to it. But, like... But just use some critical come on. thinking. What did high school English <laughs> use some teach critical you with not this? <laughs> like... There are many interpretations of literature. Um, but okay, he says, we're not who we used to be. We're just two ghosts standing in the place of you and me. So we can think about this as the two ghosts, like the shells of themselves that are masquerading in this ruse versus their true authentic selves. The fridge light washes this room right white. When we moved the furniture so we could dance. I mean, you can think about Moon all too dances well. over your good side. And this was all we used to need. Hanging out like bros. Tongue-tied like we've never known. Telling all the stories we already told. Because we don't say what we really mean. We're feeding this whole narrative about us being in this great relationship and whirlwind romance. But what we cannot say is that we are both Um, So we're just two ghosts swimming in a glass half empty, trying to remember how it feels to have a heartbeat. Because we've just, we have made ourselves our own zombies, our own ghosts. Um, Now that is a sci-fi doomsday movie I would like to see. (laughs) um, So then we end just like trying to remember how it feels to have a heartbeat trying to remember how it feels to have a heartbeat which i think is really interesting if you parallel that to like evelyn talking about like i remember harry's heart like stopping essentially Mm -hmm. when he's in this crash and like taylor talking out the woods like i remember seeing your body and he's talking about i just i'm just trying to remember how how it feels to have a heartbeat not in his heart stopping like during this crash but rather What's worse is being inauthentic and in this fake relationship with her. That's what matters to him, not, like, (laughs) the true danger of it all, which was this awful accident that they got into. Yeah. Dang. So, listeners, tell us what you think. That's some juicy analysis, Yeah, and um, at all of our uh, English teachers in high school, check out our podcast. Please don't. Okay. So, that's vehicular manslaughter. We've got even more to talk about somehow. Um, Let's talk about the bearding and the foursome as it exists in Evelyn Hugo. So we've already talked about this. Like, it's the four of them, Evelyn, Celia, John, Harry. God, I was like going through all of the names of the Beatles and, and Harry. And they, you know, are having these New York years. And so there's like a theory on 
Taylor's corner of the internet, um, that the thought in like early 2016, late 2015, like when Taylor and Carly were, um, together but like going through you know they were like this is the time when they're not really being publicly seen just the two of them whatever um there's a thought that like what their publicist wanted to happen was to like a like this essentially like a foursome of like long-term beards so at this point um carly is dating josh kushner um taylor is maybe with Calvin? calvin harris i'm not sure yeah yeah cause the photo yeah. right yeah Yes. Um, or, yeah. Yes. And so, like, people think that they were supposed to have this, like, long-term beard arrangement, essentially. Maybe not with um, Calvin, because he was, like, a full-blown garbage fire, but, like, with maybe Tom Hiddleston or, you know, Joe or whoever it was going to be long-term, seeing as we have cast Joe Allen. Um But then the thought here is that, like, when the election happened, this is, like, they got fully screwed over. This is, this is, like, a real, this is a wackadoo theory, but I think it's interesting. Um, That, like, the election happened, Carly suddenly, her relationship with the Kushner was no longer just, like, kind of gauche, but, like, actively and publicly harmful and dangerous. Um, and Taylor was like, you know, already, this was also at the same time, if you all remember as like the internet was like, is Taylor Swift secretly a Nazi? Because all of these like white supremacists were like using her image. And like, they were like, she is like an Aryan queen. Shit was really dark, um, at this point. And so that in conversation with the Josh Kushner stuff, like blew everything up. But people think that if Hillary had won the election, I think we've talked about this on the pod before, if Hillary had won the election, that Taylor either would have come out or that she would have been able to sustainably long-term be with Carly through this foursome beard situation, a la Evelyn Celia, John Harry. But do you think that Josh Kushner and Calvin Harris were dating? Um... No, no. <laughs> but let's talk about Calvin Harris for a second, actually, because yeah. this is another thing that is just like too good to be true. This is just after Calvin and Taylor break up. These tweets are deleted. They're very easy to find, though. Um, OK, so this is what Calvin Harris tweets. Last year, I grew a big old beard in order to be taken seriously by the Grammys as a producer. It worked to an extent. My producer of the year nomination came through and I was happy the beard was performing as well as I had hoped. But unfortunately, this weekend, I learned that even a new beard has its limitations. On Sunday, I lost out to the incredible Greg Kirsten. Don't know who that is. A big old beard can only take you so far. An important lesson I learned that I'm happy to pass forward to all of you good people. Now my beard is gone, the experiment completed, and I can move forward with 2018. God bless and thank you for your support. So, like, these tweets were up for, I think, like, 12 hours or something before they got taken down. And this is again, like just after he and Taylor break up under like crazy weird circumstances. And like, he wasn't growing a beard. He didn't have it. Like never, there's no, no, he had like very light facial hair. Like, Oh my God, that's all the evidence. (laughs) I know. Like, and like, obviously Taylor seemed was like, take this the fuck down. Like we had you sign a million contracts. Like, I think that that of all of her relationships, like Calvin is like the ultimate beard of them all. Like, yeah, even more so than Harry. So, right. Because, Cal- but I mean, like Calvin, similar to Joe, 
Like, Calvin had a little more star right, power right. than Joe. But still, it's, like, this nameless mm-hmm. face or, like, faceless dude where you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, that sounds like a celebrity for Calvin. But, like, he's just, like, a, a DJ or whatever. Yeah. Like, you don't know what he actually does, which is, like, a perfect, like, D-list celebrity where it's, like, your brain is, like, oh, yeah, checks. But yes. not enough to... And works out for him, too. Like he says, like, I grew a beard in order to be taken seriously by the Grammys as a producer. Like, he is in the same arena. Like, dating Taylor Swift is going to get him shit. And also, like, she freaking wrote, this is what you came for. Yes. You know, like, she actively was like, I'll give you a... Don't you think that was exact... Like, if you want to talk about deals being brokered, I don't think that was, like, a writing songs with my boyfriend thing. I think it was, was like, like, I'll give you a hit single. Yes. Because I'm actually good at this shit. Mm-hmm. I'll write something for you. You'll publish it. Everybody will be like, oh, he's so great. He's so talented. But that was in the contract. And then when he broke the contract and like outed her as a beard, then she came forward and was like, yo, I'm Nils. That was my song. I wrote this. Like, mm-hmm. she was like, you don't get your if you don't you didn't bring your half. So like you don't get to keep mine. Right, and that's a classic Taylor move to be like, "Oh yeah, I take it all back." And I, I genuinely don't think we ever would have found out that she wrote that song. It's not a William Bowery situation, which now she's no. like trying to leverage that and make it seem like it's all part of the narrative. And we deal in pseudonyms all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, Neil Soderberg is a random fucking name that was never meant to be found out. It was just supposed to be another Swede working on the right. Like they had created track. enough, like dummy, like and like a la, like you can't trace the money. Like you could not trace mm-hmm. where who this person was, and like if Taylor had wanted it to stay that way, it would have. Yeah, totally. Yep, completely agree. Um, what do you think? I'm actually thinking more. I think about Daisy Jones and the Six, which is Taylor mm-hmm. Jenkins Reid's other. Um, book, but I'm just thinking about pseudonyms and Daisy in that book has a, a pseudonym like Lola Lakava that when she checks mm, into hotels mm-hmm. and goes places, she always uses. I just am thinking, I wonder what Taylor's pseudonym is as someone who clearly like traffics in pseudonyms quite yes. a bit. <laughs> yeah. I would love to know like what she I would makes really dinner reservations. I hope day. that gets included in the tell all that we'll Same. get when we're fucking 70. My no. reason for... But Taylor's gonna, like... I just really think you never freaking know what she's gonna do, Hannah. Like, in the same way that she's, like... Yeah. Just throwing us all around the place with 1989 and Red and whatever. It's, like, when this work is done, over in the next hill, like, she could just break all molds, right? And do it at, like, 40. She could do it at... Yeah. I just think she's a lot more unpredictable than we give her credit for. No, you're right. Yeah. Like, and this year, if nothing else, has shown us that. <laughs> totally. Like, who, I, I never know what she's doing. And, like, I think, and I think you're right. Like, you were talking about earlier, like, there is going to come a point where, like, she's going to stop giving a fuck about, like, basically, you know, like, she's mm-hmm. reached the top of the mountain. Like, now I think she gets to decide what she wants to do coming down. And it's also like she can the thing with her that we've talked about again many times, but it's like she can say, like, I'm done with interviews, like, basically forever, mm-hmm. which she basically did during rep. Right. And yeah, the only interviews I will ever give from now on are on my terms and are on my terms only. 
She doesn't need to do anything more than mm-hmm. that, quite honestly. She's a big enough star. And so I think it's really interesting, similar to Evelyn, of like once you wield that power, and it can completely be on your terms, which is the only media we get from her now, like Miss Americana. But I just think it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. Mm-hmm. I, it makes me hedge a little bit because I think it is amazing to be able to to own your own story and present things to the public the way that you want them to be. And I think she doesn't owe us anything. She's a human being with rights and a life and privacy and secrets like anybody else. And I also think it's a little like propaganda E sometimes too of like, I just don't want to be spoon fed a farce you know like i do like the idea of like these oprah interviews like sure the oprah interview with harry and megan where it's like there is journalistic integrity someone is pushing back on you but it's also like an agreed upon set of rules and parameters Mm -hmm. and like you can push me here and i hope that we do get like a little bit more accountability and transparency from Taylor in the future. I hope she freaking sits down with Oprah, that pergola and gives us her interview. I really do. Was she silent or was she silenced? <laughs> yeah, I do too. I mean, I hope that we get, I, and I agree. Like I, I think there is a line and I, it's hard to find sometimes of like, I don't think she owes us anything. I don't think that like we are owed her truth or like the details of her life and feelings. And I think that like, this is somebody who so deeply values and prioritizes the truth and her narrative of the truth and like what is right and what is correct and what is just and what is fair. And I think like we've seen in different eras of her, like whenever that is threatened either she retreats or she gives us like way more. And I think at some point she is going to one, like release her inhibitions, feel the rain on her skin. No one else can feel it for her. Like <laughs> chill out a little bit. Um, and um, well, she already is right. With exactly. Yeah. That process has begun. Yeah. And I think that that's going to spill into her personal life. I mean, and I think, there's something to be said with Evelyn's point of like, I have no one left to protect. Like there is nobody who could be hurt from me telling the truth. Like I think that Taylor probably does feel really personally responsible. I mean, we've, we've talked, we saw that in, in Miss Americana where she's like talking about um, like the number of people that she employs basically, you know, like she mm. talks about that. Yeah. At some point. I don't remember that. That she's is like, such an interesting point. Like she really cares about the business of Taylor Swift beyond herself, exactly. which we, that's such an easy thing to forget when you think about yeah. all this stuff of like how many people's like livelihoods and family depend on, on you. And she and has, her, I think like, a greater perspective. And, like, being of that. Exactly. And so I think she's like less willing there's like the scope of what she can give and then like how it impacts her family and her closest friends and how it impacts like her team and how it impacts the people she employs and how it impacts like, you know, and it goes on forever and ever. And I think she like really clearly sees those ripple effects, you know, like think about the song peace where she's like, I know that I can't give this thing to you. I mean, we have a lot of different readings of that song, but, but yeah, she talks, you know, I think that peace is a really good example of this where she realizes that, 
and she puts it into a song like I can't give this to you like the way that my life is means that like I there are some things that like I will never be able to have and I will never be able to give and I think that like there is a layer of thinking about that song as it relates to like what she can give to us and to like the people who ingest her her life but while we're here let's talk about peace because we were also going to talk about this yes i'm super hyped to talk about peace also in the context of evelyn hugo and harry cameron so i think that this song is undeniably salient to the harry cameron evelyn hugo romance and i also want to think about this in context to maybe a conversation that Taylor Swift is having with Joe, right? Who is who this song is believed to be addressed to. So let's get into it. So Peace by Taylor Swift. Our coming of age has come and gone. Suddenly the summer it's clear. So their youth is gone. Evelyn and Harry have had these dalliances, but it's like now let's get down to business. Let's settle down. It's finally clear. We should get married. I never had the courage of my convictions as long as danger is near, people finding us out. And it's just around the corner, darling, because it lives in me. Both my gayness, my queerness, and also my mirror ballness, my need for Mm -hmm. stardom. Eyes will always be on me. No, I could never give you peace. She's never going to be able to give Harry Cameron peace, nor Joe Alwyn, nor her legions of fans. But I'm a fire and I'll keep your brittle heart warm. If you cascade, ocean waves, blues come. All these people think love's for show. All these people think we're fakes, that we're beards in this industry, because they know more. But I would die for you in secret because I love you so much. You're the love of my platonic life, my BFF. Like, she truly loves Harry so, so much. Just like, I'm sure that Taylor loves Joe. The devil's in the details, but you've got a friend in me, again, because we're BFFs. Would it be enough if I could never give you peace? Your integrity makes me seem small. All the conniving, crazy Mm -hmm. things that I do. You paint dreamscapes on the wall. He's literally a movie producer. (laughs) So, don't know what more to say about that. I talk shit with my friends. It's like I'm wasting your honor. This great gift that you've given to me of like hitching your boat to mine and you know that i'd swing with you for the fences sit with you in the trenches that's literally a quote from this book that we've talked about give you my wild give you a child she literally gives him a child (laughs) evelyn gives harry cameron a child which he would not be able to have in any other way and that's a discussion that they have in this book of like i really he says like i genuinely truly want a biological child and i think that you want that too and It's just really beautiful how they do that. Mm -hmm. Give you the silence that only comes when two people understand each other. Family that I chose. Chosen family. Know that I see your brother as my brother. Is it enough? Is it enough that we're not lovers? Is it enough? Robbers to the east, clowns to the west. Give you my sunshine. Give you my best. But the rain is always going to come if you're standing with me. All these people think love's for show, but I would die for you in secret. The devil's in the details, but you've got a friend in me. Would it be enough if I could never give you peace? Would it be enough if I could never give you peace? I I fucking love that song. And again, there is nothing explicitly romantic about this song. Mm -mm. Never. Never. There's love. Love is not romantic love. A child and a family, which is, again, not romantic love. So I just think that that is incredible. 
Mm-hmm. It, this song applies so much to this situation. And I just think it's a really interesting way to think about a deal that could have been brokered between between Joe and Taylor, possibly. And maybe it's mm-hmm. not that, but just to think of the different eventualities that exist and a way to love someone and love someone deeply and commit to them and build a family with them that's not predicated on being head over heels mm-hmm. romantically and in love with them. And I mean, that's, that's marriage, right? Like in so many <laughs> ways, I mean, like our concept of like a romantic marriage is a pretty modern invention. Right. And I think like you think of other cultures, you think of arranged marriage, you think of just so many different types of coupling that are more about a deep friendship than wanting to get it on. And even in like our conception of like, Romantic marriage, as it stands in, like, the United States, um, like, I think there is still kind of a prioritization of what they're talking about here. Like, maybe a wedding is, like, the fun, crazy part, but, like, a marriage, like, I'm I'm just thinking about this because I watched The Bachelor at last night. Um, but, like, the way that people talk about, like, successful marriages, especially on that show, man, this is my ultimate overlap. <laughs> Our Taylor Swift podcast and my bachelorette analysis um, is, like, the the best ones, the people who are, like, I want to, re- like, live my parents' relationships. Exactly. The people who have just, like... I want to marry my dad. Exactly, yeah. Stuff. Like, I want, like, a stable, like, healthy relationship, not one that is, like give you my wild like I'll, I'll give it to you but then also like we'll right, move like, over into the like silence that only comes when two people understand each other like, i family that i chose see, right like i see give you my wild is like i'll give up my wild for exactly you. yes yeah 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 and i think like i just i i love this song i think it's so good i think it's so, so thoughtful and yeah like i maybe this applies to her and joe's relationship maybe not i don't know like i'm probably never gonna know that unless she releases her inhibitions, feels the rain on her skin. Um, but I do think that there, uh, like, there are just so many ways to think about this song specifically. I think this is like this is in my top five Taylor Swift songs, and the parallels here are loud. Also, I just like want to also underscore that like this is a beautiful song and a song that we both love. And there is nothing wrong about this kind of arrangement. Like, there's nothing wrong with no. that. There, There's nothing that makes romantic love, point blank period, better than this kind of obviously deep sustained love. And, like, that is a sentiment mirrored when you read The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo of, like, mm-hmm. that literally is her best marriage. That is her best marriage. Even in some ways more so than Celia. It's like and certainly her healthiest relationship and the way one that more brings her the most stability and the most comfort and like the most ease and safety. Yeah. And like the love is real. Like, yeah, the love is real. And I think it's like splitting hairs to call one kind of love better than another. And so I think like, this book has given me a new window with which to understand like the value that, that Taylor might find in Joe. Totally. Yeah. Even if they are romantically in love. I mean, this is, uh, this is a pod produced by 
a set of soulmates who are not in romantic love and have always prioritized our relationship and found the value in it. Totally. More loudly than anything else. So like, we're all for this. Totally. Yeah. I think it's just, it's just a really beautiful thing. And I think like Taylor Jenkins Reid does it so well. Mm -hmm. She really, she really does it so well. And I think, I think this song makes me unsurprised if we see Taylor and Joe get married in the near future. Yeah. And like, we know she wants that, like, or at least she has given us reason to believe she wants that in like the narrative that she has provided for us. Um, and like the truths that we have from her and we like accept as real. Um, And yeah, I think there's just some level of like, I mean, literally obviously, but like, it's her life. It's her life to make decisions about if this is better than the alternative. That's amazing. If like, she can make her own mistakes. And like, I think the beauty of a song like this can make us rest easy on the fact that like the kids are all right. Like she's figuring it out. It's her life. And if she has this lens to see it through, it seems pretty great to me. Julianne Moore. <laughs> she would be happy. The kids are all right. Annette Benning. Is that who the other one is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. All right. Oh, well, one more thing we want to mention. Oh, yes. Oh, my Actually, God. two more things. We have two more things quick at the end that we want to talk about. Hannah, you go first. Um, the first is just that I forgot to say this during the last episode, but we were talking about how... I don't know how I forgot to say this because this is the most important part of this. Um, so we were talking about the TV version of Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Initially, it was going to be on like Freeform, which would have been a fucking dumpster fire. I'm glad it wasn't. <laughs> but um, it is like being sold somewhere else. But the most important thing to know about it is that... The showrunners for The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo are fucking Jennifer Beals and Eileen Shaken, the uh, bet and the creator of The L Word. Um, So I just wanted that to be known. There's just, uh, it's rich. I can't wait. I hope that it lands somewhere really amazing. Like, I just want it to be on HBO. HBO. Like, if it's not HBO, (laughs) I don't know. Living, laughing, crying. But, um... The other thing that I want to add quickly at the end is, like, Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo is canon, is relevant. Like, a week ago, by the time this podcast comes out, like, three weeks ago, Mm -hmm. Carly posted, like, one of her first Instagrams, like, post-baby. It is her in an emerald green dress with, like, a corset thing underneath. The comments are flooded with Evelyn Hugo comments. People saying, like... I just opened it up. Yeah. Okay, Evelyn Hugo. That's from a commenter whose name is The Kaler Diaries, so that's... (laughs) Okay, well, that's why. But then Evelyn Hugo is crying right now. The seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo tears. Um, Evelyn Hugo wannabe. Big Evelyn Hugo vibes. Evelyn Hugo? She... To the point that, like, everything coming in here, like, every single comment was Evelyn Hugo inspired, and she turned off the comments. So go look at Carly Kloss's Instagram from like it's on june 16th june 16th wearing a green dress for some evelyn hugo tea so it continues to be relevant and we are not the only ones who share this it's not just us (laughs) i thought it was just me all right well this has been great and we will see you next time love you guys maybe we'll 
commit vehicular manslaughter next time we see you. Don't say that. Don't say that. Uh, No.